Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today we have therapist Shiva Raji joining us. She is the founder and director of the Center for Anxiety and OCT, OCD in Irving, California. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. Thank you for being here. So um, I feel like I need to come to your center. <laughs> Um, I've been reading your book, um, and I, you have spoken out about your own OCD and, uh, something that really resonated with me was you talked about as a child, the stuffed animals and how you would line them up kind of, it was a ritual at night, right? Yeah. That was, I heard you say that. I started crying. I think it was another podcast because I was that was so me. Like I had to have them kind of how this is right now. I'm in a like home recording studio and I love to be enclosed and I would line them up around me. And if one moved, like I've always been like ritualistic in that way. Not some, not the cleaning or washing hands. I'm a very dirty person. I feel like that's why not what I'm actually not sick. Cause I'm like germs, whatever. My immune system is strong, but I'm very ritualistic. Um, and so I just thought that was interesting that that was something you brought up is when you thought back to your childhood, that kind of rang as a, or a, like a bell rung. Oh, this, this, I recognize this is as OCD compulsion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it sort of was for me, this experience of like the animals having to be okay also. So it was not only that they had to maybe be lined up, but I remember each of them and it's sort of typical, like kids get animals, personalities. And, but I was really distressed if like one of the animals like had fallen on the floor or was sort of like not okay. I mean, I remember the experience of walking away from my room, even from a very young age, and there almost being a voice. I remember thinking about it as like a voice in my head telling me to go back and fix it. And that is what later on I was able to pretty clearly identify as some early like OCD voice in there um, that then later on developed into uh, you know a, a bit more than that, a little bit more focused on more than the stuffed animals. Right. Do, is that something that you would you said that's pretty usual? Like for a child, if they are suffering grossity, is that something, is it normally the stuffed animals or a toy that they will put things like kind of their, I guess, ritualistic behavior acted out with? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of what matters to them. So for what what matters to children, I mean, children become attached. That's totally appropriate for them to sort of become, um, you know, the, the animals have personalities there. They have life that's mm-hmm. normal, but you'll also see a lot of attachment towards, you know, it's like, is my mom and dad going to be okay? Are they going to die in a car accident? That Um, was definitely me. Yes. I always was worried about my parents and family, something happening, like things that made no sense. Like I was like, someone's going to come in the middle of the night and, you know, like, 
I never knew anyone that that had happened to. I, I, my parents are still married and we're very much present. So I like, do you think people are born, just born with OCD? Because I, I don't know if it was your book or someone else's book I was reading about all the different OCD tendencies and how sometimes I know a lot of them or as children, it's ritualistic, like to soothe mm-hmm. them if, if there's trauma in the home. But what if you're just naturally prone to being obsessive compulsive? The mind yeah. way, because I feel like I didn't even know there was different ones that I want you to explain to everyone. But also reading your book, I was like, what? What is pure obsession? I was like, why isn't my shrink know this? Like, <laughs> like I was like, I want my money back. Like, the, I had no idea there was a name for that where your mind, because that is me. Like, that was really great. And then I Googled it and I Googled POCD and then it was like pedophile OCD. Yes. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, that's not what I'm trying to Google. Yeah, it's a whole world in there that I feel like a lot of clinicians, you know, we don't get trained on that in graduate school. We're really not trained on that in our sort of like, really, general. we're not, we're not. It's really a specialty. It's okay. really important. I mean, maybe that's a conversation for a little bit later, but for anyone who's listening, if you yeah. have an OCD diagnosis or you're really looking to cut to sort of take on, like you want your generalized anxiety to be in a better place, your panic disorder, your agoraphobia, mm-hmm. these things require sort of a specialty approach. And there's lots of really well-meaning therapists who are kind of like, I, of course I I can treat that, but the difference between it's like, you know, going to your general dentist and trying to get braces done versus visiting your orthodontist. So maybe that's worth talking about a little bit later, but if anyone's listening and they have an OCD diagnosis, please, please, please work with a specialist who's going to be using the right kind of strategy, the evidence-based strategies. Um, But yeah, I mean, that experience of being like a really highly sensitive child too. Oftentimes people identify not so much the OCD as children, because sometimes it doesn't show up that early, um, but that they're sensitive as children. Like there are these children who kind of grow up and they feel out of place. They feel like they're not understood. You know, I remember even growing up from a young age, I would ask these big questions and my mom used to look at me like, you know, did someone like, she was, she wasn't shaming around it. She said, did somebody like drop you here from another Yeah. Like, what are you asking about? That reminds me so much. I had a, I had a nightgown that said worries with a big, like, you know, Ghostbusters thing through it. You know, like the red, it's, that was very much me. Just always the mind racing, racing, racing and highly sensitive. Yes. And that's a gift. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, it's like, those are the children that can grow up to be healers and they can grow up to sort of, you know, they, they're, they connect they're empaths. Like there's a real beauty to that. But the other side of the coin is sometimes that's sort of like a harbinger. It's like an early sign of like these kids growing up and them being too vigilant to, it's, you know, I don't like to use the word too vigilant, but growing up to be sort of extra vigilant in their environments. And we can, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So For sure. So it's kind of this idea of like, we all want to be, you know, like everybody's worried that their parents, we want our parents to be okay, of course. But if that worry is sort of paralyzing to you, especially when you're younger and you're feeling like I can't go to sleep until my parents get home or, you know, I am, you know, even as flash forward to an adult, right. And reading sort of my book, it's like, 
I am super concerned with whether or not I've chosen the right partner, or I'm having these super intrusive thoughts about my sexuality and my quote unquote, the right sexuality. Um, do I feel aligned in my goodness as a person? Like these questions, when they sort of become uh, overwhelming and they threaten to sort of paralyze our relationships and our quality of life, we've got a bigger problem on our hands. And that's when what we'd consider sort of like the gift of sensitivity can sometimes blend into something that makes life difficult. Mm -hmm. And I did, and I feel pretty well schooled in all the different things you can be diagnosed And I didn't even realize there was a specialized sexual OCD where you're, where you're worried about your sexuality. Is is this the right one? Is, you know, I just was very interesting that your book kind of breaks it down. And especially um, for anyone listening, it's, it's relationship OCD. Is that right? That's what I, and it was because I always, my OCD like goes on high alert off the charts when I'm in a relationship. Cause I'm a control, you know, I want to have control mm-hmm. and know the outcome. Uh, there's another, there's a great line in your book where it's like, it's okay. I have it written down or something like where just because we don't know something doesn't always mean we should go looking for it. Yes. That's very important. It's a very hard pill to swallow. Cause I feel like I'm very Seinfeld. Like I want to know and it makes me feel better. And, but sometimes it just can keep going like round and round and round. Totally. You want to keep an eye out for, you know, it's like, when does, when is an answer not enough? And when do we find ourselves continually digging for something? Cause I think it's one thing if you're asking yourself, you know, it's again, it's normal to mm-hmm. sort of be like, Hey, am I in a relationship that's good for me? Am I in the right relationship? And that's a typical question. You know, we all sit around with our friends and ask those kinds of questions. But what's what might tip you off or might tip your listeners off is like, well, have I now asked that 20 times? Well, am I now Googling for four hours straight? Well, am I now not able to be present in my relationship because I'm so consumed with trying to figure out the answer to this question? Which like, when we really think about it, it's like, what does it mean to be in the right relationship? What does it mean to be the right sexuality? Or what does it mean to know with perfect certainty, you're never going to hurt somebody? Like, can we actually guarantee that to ourselves? You know, we really look at it. It's like, no, you know, these are unanswerable questions for the most part. Yeah. I would love if you could break down the, just because it was so interesting, like, you know, I think most people know OCD is sure. obsessional compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. If you can d- define that, and then I want to, I want to hear Moto R O C D. I feel like we're saying Real Housewives of Beverly Hills R H O B C H O O C. I don't. I just found it really yeah. interesting. It's sort of ironic because it's like you know you don't want to look for every answer, but for me, it's it makes me feel better when I know the definition of things. Totally. Yeah, absolutely fair. Let's like break it down and talk about just sort of the basics of it. So when we're talking obsessive compulsive Mm -hmm. disorder, um, which is an anxiety disorder, it's when your anxiety is now out of proportion to the threat. So relationships are nerve wracking. But when we're talking about a diagnosis of OCD, we're talking about obsessions like what if they're the right, wrong one for me? What if I'm in the wrong relationship? Or what if I'm a bad person? Or what if, what if I'm dirty? What if I'm contaminated? Mm-hmm. Obsessions and then compulsions. So some kind of ritual, um, and it can be physical, like hand washing or organizing or Googling, right? Or it can also be a mental 
type of compulsion. Like overthinking, people don't understand this sometimes. Overthinking something is is a compulsion because you're kind of digging at it, digging at it, digging at it. Yeah. So OCD is when you have obsessions and you have compulsions and they're taking away from your quality of life. Right. That's like the definition of OCD. And then where people sometimes get a little bit less of this detail is that we, a lot of us know of OCD as I have this contamination Like, I feel like people are like, I'm washing my hands and like checking if the oven's on, like someone who has maybe never experienced OCD, right? God bless you. That's amazing. But I think they think of that movie where I I think it was Jack Nicholson. He's like washing. I was like, this is the most basic, like awful, you know, looking glass of OCD. I just didn't relate to whatever they show. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever they show OCD in a film or TV, I'm like, this is not what OCD is. Someone like with... 20 soaps in their closet, like washing their hands. Yeah. And it's important to know, like OCD is also not, you know, liking to keep your house clean. It's right. not liking it's not to like organize. That. Like right. these things are not OCD, but we like, you know, people sort of say, oh, I'm so OCD. I like my house clean. It's like, no, if you like your house clean, that's a preference. If That's another really, yeah. sorry to cut you off. You no, made no. that point in the book. I think that's really important. Because other people yes. claiming OCD and it's like OCD is not something you enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I love to clean, but I'm not, I don't say that as an OCD. Like it actually makes me feel better. Yes. yes. If someone's cleaning till like your hands are bleeding, that may be a problem, you know, that kind of thing. That's exactly right. And that's really key. It's like when we're actually looking at, does someone qualify for a diagnosis of OCD? Yeah. One of the criteria is, is it has to, essentially it's like, this isn't the word we use, but it has to be painful. Like okay. if it's not painful, why would we be treating it like it's a mental illness, right? Oh, so, right? So if you like to do it, right? Fantastic. Live your life, go organize, do all the things. But that doesn't qualify as obsessive compulsive disorder. It's got to be intrusive. Right. It's got something where, you know, like for most people with OCD, um, whether it's hand washing or door checking or worries about what if I'm a pedophile, what if I've sinned against God? What if I'm a fundamentally um, harmful person? Like these kinds of things are torturous. Mm-hmm. So that's really key to make that distinction. It's not a helpful personality quirk. It's yeah. a debilitating mental disorder. Do you think that we're at a point, because I found this even, I, I think, I guess, during the pandemic, still feel like we're in the pandemic, post-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is detrimental to just throw that word around for sure yeah. i mean for I sure i really <laughs> want to make a point about that because i i for one thing you know i suffer from manic depression mm. and when people are like everyone's depressed i'm like no 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 like i just want you to be clear it's it'd be like someone being like everyone has cancer like it's very dismissive exactly. i feel like of a problem that's such a good way to put it it's like i think people don't think about it's like if you walked around and said, yeah, everyone is a little bit cancerous. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's you know? true. Like people don't think of it that way. I think because it's maybe internal, right. Or coming from your brain. And so you can't see it. And so everyone, yeah. I don't know. I just find it. It's just a pet peeve. And I, I, and I feel like sometimes people, they're not meaning to offend. They just don't know. They just maybe don't understand what the language exactly means. Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. And I think that OCD has been sort of taken up by 
you know, I mean, even like, um, even like certain companies like Target had put out these sweaters that were like obsessive Christmas disorder. And oh, and, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they recalled it. I mean, they sort of handled it. But when it was, was like, this? I missed this, that. This was in 2021. So not even wow. that long ago, there were these OCD sweaters that were sort of like making light of it. And again, yeah. to their credit, they took that down when they got the feedback. Yeah. But we're still seeing like companies play with this idea. And you know, it's, it's not about, you know, I think one of the main issues is it's, it's not like we're all trying to be out there being Karens or something like, it's yeah. not like the point yeah. isn't that, Oh, everyone gets canceled because they're doing this or that. The main issue that I think is important to know is it's like people who legitimately have these conditions are going, Oh, well, if what I'm doing is just this helpful personality quirk or like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Everybody does that then they're missing out on treatment and they're not getting access to what could be life-saving intervention. That's why it's a big deal. You know what I mean? It's not just about, we're trying to be sticklers about things. It's like, we're muddying the message for people who really could get help. Yes. And I think that's a good point. It's like when I did CBT therapy and I got that list of, I'm the queen of uh, catastrophizing like yeah. everything. <laughs> like, so it's like, every, you know, and, or is, you know, making things thoughts that I believe to be true that are not true at all. Right. So then I have my yeah. like eight questions that really helped me a mm. lot. And I worked with a hypnotist who was really helpful and just always that I have to have faith. Like we don't know the future. Right. And, I, and it was right. just such a, I still, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I've gotten better at it where it used to be really debilitating, really debilitating. It really, and it really is. I mean, it's so great that you have like sought out help. And mm-hmm. I love also one of the things you're saying to Katie, which is like, there's not always one way. I mean, there's what we call the evidence-based approaches for yes. CB. Like we want to be doing the CBT and we want to be doing the exposure therapy you know, yeah, that's hard for me. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, it's like take your absolute biggest fear and bring it down to size by facing it and facing it and facing it. And facing I still it. haven't done this one that this therapist ever wanted me to do. I was like, no, no, no. She's like, okay, maybe you're not ready. But that's really <laughs> that it's very scary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And also you can, you know, seeking different orientations. Like mm-hmm. if you want to sort of work on anxiety through different lenses, that's okay too. Um, you just want to make sure that if you're working on your OCD, you're talking to somebody who understands OCD. And I think there are a lot of people who will go, I mean, even to their medical doctors, to their psychiatrists and say, Hey, I'm having this thought that the thought is saying, what if you kill somebody? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And immediately, and this is heartbreaking when it happens, the police are being called on them by these medical professionals because they're not catching the difference between somebody who genuinely wants to be harmful, right? Versus somebody who's having these painful, intrusive thoughts of what if I could do something harmful? There is a world difference. Yeah. That sounds like not a great psychiatrist or psychologist that can't differentiate between that. It's just, I say so much crazy things to my psychiatrist. I would be like, locked up key thrown away but that's that's scary yeah can you explain what exposure therapy is for those listening that you know maybe are thinking about you know trying cbt or going to uh anxiety ocd center which i think is great because 
I don't know of that many places that that's their specialty. And I do think it's such a specific thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so, so to sort of like key into it, it's like, we have a lot of OCD that looks like I feel dirty or Mm -hmm. I'm worried about getting sick, or I'm worried that someone's going to break into my house. So I'm going to check locks and I'm going to wash my hands. And then we have this whole other sort of manifestation of OCD that people don't know about as much, which you alluded to, Katie. It's that we call it pure obsessional OCD, um, which I didn't even know. Sorry to interrupt. Was it? I was just very excited. I didn't even know there was a name for it. Right. Right. And it, and it's this whole like other, I mean, I want to call it an other world. It's all OCD, but it's rarely talked about, rarely seen. Certainly it's not the thing you're seeing on TV. Even OCD is portrayed in the media. And this is where people are worried about, um, those sort of things we've been talking about. Like I'm actually using a lot of examples Mm -hmm. on purpose in our conversation today, because these are the ones we don't hear about as much of like, what if I, um, you know, I looked at that baby's butt as it passed by me. What if I'm a child molester? Yeah. You know, like really scary stuff. Or like, I used to worry about the when I would babysit these kids, I was like, what if they all die? Like that sounds so dramatic, but I would be like, mom, I can't babysit anymore. Obviously I wasn't going to do it, but I would just, my mind is such a strong muscle and it would just start going round and round and round and round. And I think people and kids, maybe even kids, adults, all ages, genders can have these thoughts and they're scared to maybe tell someone because of what you just said earlier, that someone's going to call who's not experienced enough to recognize, oh, this is a compulsive thought and this is a fear. And this is for me, I, I learned that it's my way to try to control something mm-hmm. that's out of my control, you, you know, whether it. relationship or so I'm like, I'm going to control the way I'm going to do this. And like my hair and this and that. And it's in the end, it like, it just keeps going unless yeah. it kind yeah. of gets worse. But at the time you think it feels better. Oh, totally. I mean, and you're, you're speaking about a lot of what we get to in treatment and a lot of the work we do. So, I mean, exposure therapy is treatment. So I'm going right. to tell in what you're saying. Yeah. It, it it's like, what are we exposing ourselves to? It's we're exposing ourselves to the feared scenario, which might be something like, okay, well, what if you, what if you happen to pick someone, marry them? And right. then, you know, you in five years, you're like, I made the wrong decision. I'm actually not attracted enough to them, or they're not smart enough, or we're not compatible enough just to take an example. And you end up getting a divorce and it's really difficult. It's really painful. You know, maybe you are in pain for many years after that. People go, I really don't want to feel that. So instead I'm going to do all these compulsions on the front end because I need to be hundred percent sure I'm picking the right partner because I never want to go through that. But that's an attempt to try to control reality. And it's not to say we will get divorced or whatever. We're going to do the best we can, but we can't control life. And so a lot of exposure work is to sort of work with a client and go, okay, well, let's take that possibility of the divorce, for example, and take the wind out of its sails, like knock it down to size. It would suck. It would be incredibly painful. And it's also likely that you would cope. Right. Yeah. Plenty of people go through divorce. It's really painful. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. Can you gain that strength in yourself so that you don't have to grip onto life, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can keep your hands open a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how we end up working with 
that's a big picture piece, but it's like, we got to cut those compulsions because those compulsions are our way that we are holding and gripping and trying to, to your statement, Katie, it's like control our reality. And instead we have to let go and trust ourselves. I will say, I love this, this quote. I'm going to butcher it just a little bit, (laughs) but it's this quote around, you know, the bird doesn't trust the branch it's sitting on. It trusts its own wings. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense with everything we're saying. That's our goal as like, we're going to be okay, no matter what, even if our branch breaks, even if our parents die in an untimely manner, even if something bad happens, can we trust ourselves? Right. And do you like OCD is the other sort of, I guess, flip side is it can be very useful. Like my psychiatrist is always saying it's rare because you have ADHD, but also OCD. And he said, normally that's it. And they're both pretty extreme. Hmm. So you're able to do things that's some that maybe your average, I'm saying average, not in a bad way, person with ADHD maybe couldn't accomplish. Mm-hmm. Like I can obviously anyone, I wouldn't say obviously, but for those that don't know, if you do have ADHD, some have the ability to really hyper-focus. Right. So the flip side is I can hyper-focus, but then also I can really obsess about something like maybe it's doing research for an interview. So it can be confusing where it's like, well, when do I stop? Mm -hmm. And what would you say to, if you had a patient like that, that maybe was, didn't know whether the OCD was, even though, even if it felt good, it's like, when do you know, like, oh, this is not, I need to stop doing this. Yeah. It's a really good. Or if your job, maybe that involves that. Right. Right. It's a really good question. I mean, I consider my work as a therapist and the analysis that I would do as um, not an obsession, not there's not compulsions and obsessions involved in it, but my ability to attend to detail and to make connections and to dig deep and to sort of sniff things out in this way that that works for me in my practice. It is the other side of part of what tortures me the rest of my life or what has tortured me. So I so resonate with what you're saying, where it's like, sometimes what suits us in one arena of life, what's really functional in one arena of life. um, It's like, then in the personal world, it can be really complicated or something. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's not black and white, right? Like we don't get to just say like, my OCD is only in this arena and this is bad and it's bad. And it's all this. It's like, we are complex. So who we are, like these brains go around with us everywhere. And I don't know, it's like, I don't consider my attention to detail at work, a facet of my OCD. I consider that part of my personality and my, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you care about your work. Exactly. And my brain is really detail oriented and that works for me here. But when it comes to my relationship, if I get too detail oriented, I'm picking my husband to pieces. I'm like poking at him too much. So I think, yeah, we have to be nuanced around like, I'm going to treat that because that makes me uncomfortable. That causes me distress. But this one, I'm going to let it ride out because it's working for me. Right. That's a good point. The, can you, you mentioned the, is it pure obsessional OCD? That's the thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Where that just keep going. I just wanted to get your definitions of, of, cause I found, I did I have like the moto, the, 
Yeah. You can break each one down. You got it. You got it. So when we say OCD, it's like OCD, and then we have these subcategories. OCD is our diagnosis. And then okay. under OCD, we have these subcategories of what we call wash check. And that's going to be the one you see on TV a lot, but it is OCD, but it's also, it's like more obvious stuff. Okay. And then you have pure obsessional OCD, which is the stuff you don't see on TV very often. That's me. And yeah. And that's where you're getting these like existential concerns, these identity concerns. And they break down into, I mean, there's lots of ways this can manifest, but I'll go through a few of them. So yeah. you can kind of hear there's sexual orientation obsessions. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what if I am, what if I identify as gay, but I'm like truly straight and I'm in denial or the opposite. What if I identify as straight or cis, but I'm truly, um, gay or I'm truly, you know, I'm meant to be a different gender. And the person will obsess on what it means to have a true identity. Mm -hmm. There is health obsessions. So something along the lines of like, you know, I felt this um, pain in my shoulder. Oh my gosh, if I don't attend to it, what if it's cancer and I die? There's relationships. That was you in college. Yes, it was. (laughs) Yes. I totally spiraled out for weeks thinking that shoulder pain was like the end of me. And I was you know, needing to figure it out. And that's really common. That's like health anxiety. Well, I used to, just to interject quickly, yeah. I used to think my whole family would die if I didn't pick up all the towels off the floor. So yes. I, it was like, there was an action, but it also was a thought that was made no sense, right? To your average person, but to someone that understands OCD, they would be like, oh, I totally get that. Yeah. And you were essentially afraid of harm coming to them. Yeah. You were feeling this sense, which is really common for people with um, anxiety disorders of like hyper responsibility. Like not only could they be in danger, but it's up to me to do something about it. The towels are the reason or something. And I had to leave all the towels on the floor for like, you know, every time I left the house, it was so hard, but then now I can do it, but it was hard. and, And they didn't Die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, he's like, it's okay. And totally. also, I remember right there being like, do you really think you have that power? And I'm like, hey, no. <laughs> totally. But I mean, I know it's, 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 but it's like, no, you're right. I don't. I don't yeah. have that power. So I know. Okay. And we, we, we sometimes will even stand like in our offices, like we, you know, we can go to the street and sit there and wish the cars to get an accident in front of us. And it's this way to play around with this idea of like, do we really have that power? Or is it just that our brain is making us feel hyper? Oh, is that what you'll do? Yeah, like, we will. Sometimes we'll take a client and be like, let's do it. And we'll be like, you know, red sedan, get in a car accident right now. What you if know, like or- Harry Potter was a client? <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> that is so, I would just love to be walking down the street and like, just hear someone say that to someone. <laughs> Yeah, to be wall in OCD treatment is kind of interesting. Yeah, because you're really dealing with these like these you know these fears that are at the core of what it means to be human. It's like, am I a good person? Like, am I making the right choices in my life? Am I good? Am I harmful? Like, they're really deep questions and they're fascinating conversations. But ultimately, we get to that conclusion, Katie. A lot of the times that you are getting to, which is, I can't know for certain. I'm pretty sure I'm a good person. I'm pretty sure these towels are not what's going to kill my parents. And I'm going to tolerate not being 100% on that. Right. And do do you think that people are born with this tendency or it's learned or it can 
be made, I hate to use the word worse, but enforced if you have parents that have OCD tendencies. I would just love to hear your opinion. Yeah. And what you found throughout your practice. We have studies that show that anxiety disorders are inherited. So there's a big component of this that is genetic. Um, If you have, like my grandmother had pretty severe OCD and there's anxiety disorders in my family. I also have OCD. Um, there is a genetic basis. So just one thing we ask is it's sort of like, if we have a client come in, one of the things we might want to ask is what about your family members, aunts, uncles, cousins, does anybody else have this? Cause it helps us when we're doing our, our diagnostic work. Um, but, but, and it's nature nurture. So we like to say genetics loads the gun and nature pulls the trigger, which means that we have these tendencies, um, these proclivities, like we're, we're uh, tended towards having OCD. And then maybe it shows up when we're younger, but for a lot of people, it's like the environment reinforces it in some way. So maybe we're seeing a parent who's behaving in these compulsive ways, or even deeper than that, our parents are acting like the world isn't a safe place. So they're upping our anxiety in some ways, or it's a chaotic household or something. Or overly worrying, like safe. That was maybe that, that is a big thing in my, especially my dad's side of the family, like the seatbelt on the safety, the, this, you know? And so that I think would just make more like, okay, I got to be safe. I got to save everyone. Just sort of that subconscious. If you're hypersensitive. Exactly. Exactly. And it's likely, you know, your, your dad said those things because he loved you dearly, but right, also right. it's likely he had maybe some leaning towards a more anxious nature, a right. more vigilant nature. So, you know, it's both like it's nature and it's nurture. Right. Um, but most of the times when we're talking about OCD and someone who qualifies for diagnosis, we are seeing some genetic pieces in there. Mm. It's not just about how we were parented. Right. And have you found, because my psychiatrist has told me this. That's actually why I did CBT therapy for a few years and still will go back to those eight questions mm. that it is very hard it, in my experience to find medicine that really helps OCD. Mm. I mean, Zoloft in my, again, this is my own experience. I am not a doctor has helped alleviate some, but I, for instance, when I wasn't on the exact sort of right dose for me, Adderall made my OCD worse. You know, it can really, people have to be careful. It's such a delicate balance um, that his opinion, and I think from just my own novice research, it seems to be that CBT and the exposure therapy and those kind of ways, which is more work in the long run is more helpful for OCD. Do you think that's true? Yeah. You know, it's, that's a, it's like a great point you're making and you're talking about sort of like medicine in the big picture sense. And it's really individualized. I've seen people have great results with doing, um, with doing the work. Like Mm -hmm. I think you always need to do the work. Right. I mean, no one's just taking a pill and then like, you know, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if pills were that magical. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and you know, some people that's the route that they take because the reality is, is that therapy is really hard work. As you know, it's like, it's really really hard work. Um, a lot of the great long-term results that we see for OCD are a combination of therapy and medication. Right. 
But I do tell clients, it's like medication can be super helpful. If you're, if we're relying on that to take away anxiety, then whenever medication either fades or you want to get off of it, some people like to get off medication for pregnancy for whatever reason. Or um, it can stop working. Like for a or, while, Zola mm-hmm. really, and I'd go off it and then I went back on it. Now it's worse, but you know, people can become, I guess, for lack of a better word, immune, right? To certain antidepressants or they just kind of have their shelf life. Right. I mean, it's just bodies are so complicated and chemistry is complicated. And so you want to, I always say it's like medicine can be so incredibly helpful and it can be a lifesaver for people. Mm -hmm. And my preference for clients is layer that on top of therapy because the therapy is always in your control. It's like, you can always do therapy and you can always go back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really like, it's working in a more organic way. So that's my preference for clients, Mm -hmm. but the majority of our clients have an SSRI in the mix and they're also doing therapy. Okay. So Mm -hmm. you do, that's good to hear that. Um, I mean, it was good to hear. And then also I was kind of like, well, I don't understand why no one can come up with a better medicine for, you know, I think it's just because it's, it's such a, maybe there's so many different forms. And like you said, if, if, especially with the pure obsessional thought OCD, where you're, you were talking about like the witching hour, how Mm -hmm. it's worse at night, which Mm -hmm. I think is so true. And it can be in the morning. I find it more at night for me. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, short version of it is, is like medicine's complicated, right? It's like, first of all, it's like, finding the right psychiatrist, finding the right combination for you. And it doesn't work for everybody. Absolutely. So, yeah. And that's kind of medic, but it's a great option if it does happen to work for you. Um, yeah, Zoloft my- has helped. It does. I will say it really does help with the OCD. It was much worse before, but it wouldn't be working as well. Had I not done the work of the therapy that I'm continuing to do. Totally. Totally. And that's the case I see like time and time again. Um, so I love that you're combining those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to your question about the witching hour. <laughs> Isn't that what you that. called it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the witching hour. And then I even have something where I talk about is like the witching hours, because it seems right. as if the anxious brain, just like there's something that starts happening in the evenings and it goes all the way until the mornings. And it's like, if you get up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and your brain is just not in a good place. Um, and really what's happening is we're, we're more sort of like offline, like where our brains are not like our prefrontal cortex, which is sort of where our rational thinking is, is sort of offline. Like we're resting, our brains are resting, they're regenerating, but it also means we're more prone to having these kind of weird, um, dark evening thoughts that come in. It's like, I've never had weirder thoughts than at three AM when I'm going to the bathroom, <laughs> like, it's just like, and I, you know, and I was, I have a seven month old now and I was recently Aww. pregnant. And your so your sleep must up. be all over the place. Then. Exactly. And the weirdest thoughts I have are like when I'm in the middle of the night and right. my brain is just like, are you happy? Like, <laughs> like, should you change everything? You know? And it's, I always remind myself and I tell my clients and anybody who sort of follows me on social media, it's like, yeah. do not take those thoughts seriously at that time of night. Like wait until your brain is back online again. We also know cortisol levels are really high early in the morning. So it's like, I just like to put a little bit of a boundary around like things my brain says before I go to bed all the way until when I've like woken up and my brain is turned on. Just disregard those. Just right. sort of be like, yeah, brain, I hear you, but I'm not going to get into this. And if it happens to still be something I'm worried about, 
in the middle of the day, I can decide if I want to take some time on it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, early morning, not so much, but definitely nighttime. It's like, that is definitely my witching hour where you have to be careful. And for me, I'm like, okay, I need to like set this on a shelf. I just sort of think of like, let's not worry about this right now. You know, that's hard to do, but it is exactly the right move is to be like, I'm not going to look at this right now. Like even yeah. though it's important and even though my brain's sort of like, no, but this is do or die. Like, I'm just going to go to sleep and I'll look at it tomorrow. Yeah. And I think it's important too for people to have helpful um, rituals that they know they can go to, whether it's, oh, I'll walk my dog or I'll yeah. read my book or I'll watch, you know, this TV show or this movie that is kind of self-soothing to me, right? Like I was recently watching that Dahmer show. I was like, why am I watching this? <laughs> I don't know why. Talk about brain. I was like, oh my gosh. Binge watching it. I mean, it was so, I was like, is why? it good? I haven't seen it, it yet. It is, but it's so dark. But I oh, like dark crime, but this is like, it's really dark. It's really dark. And so then my mind's just like, why are you watching this? You want to watch like, you know, it's, it's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. It's so good. And I love the actor who plays him, Evan Peters. I think that's why I thought, Oh, I'll watch this. But it's, I think cause it's so good. It makes it feel more even like real, right? Like it's totally. where something like Dexter, where he pretty is, well, it's a little, it's campy, but also the people that he's murdering are horrible people. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't like that. So that's what makes it like, like, I'm like, no, I have to like fast forward through so many scenes. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to see that. So yes, be careful what you watch before you go to bed. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think it's an, a kind of a good piece to like tail off of that too, of like, there's so many things we can do to help manage our anxiety better. Like you're saying, it's like, have, have a quiet down ritual as you go mm-hmm. to sleep or like, don't drink as much caffeine or don't like as your, watch your alcohol intake. And that's all really good advice. And I will give it, right. but I also think it's important to know, like you want to watch the Dahmer thing. Like, yeah, maybe you just are a little more anxious and that's okay too. So we do these, or just of, fast forward, you know what or I just mean? Fast like, forward it, yeah. Right. I mean, it's like some weekends you want to go party with your friends and you're going to be drinking a little bit more right. and you're, you are, you know, alcohol is a depressant and you might feel a little bit jitty on Monday right. and your anxiety might be worse on Monday. And it's like, the answer isn't that we need to perfect our schedules so that we never feel uncomfortable. Like maybe okay. we feel uncomfortable and we have a bad day and that's okay. Do you find that alcohol, I know that yet, yeah, yes, it's a depressive. Do you find that that makes people's OCD worse kind of after yes. they've drank, drunk or sorry, drank, drank too much. Yeah, it does. does. It does. Especially, I mean, I'm not talking about maybe just a glass of wine or something, but if you have like a day of heavy drinking and you know, the next day, many, many, many clients will report that it just, it just sends their brains spinning. It's harder the next day. And that doesn't mean you don't ever drink. I mean, unless that happens to be your deal, you know, it's like, you just, you just, do a cost benefit analysis. You know, it's like, I don't think drinking every night is the move. Um, and people what might want to a cost that. benefit analysis. You live Just for people that I know what it is, but yeah, I mean, maybe you live your life. Like, again, you want to go out and like 
party with your friends. And that is your value. Like you're like, this matters to me. I'm celebrating my friend's birthday or like, it's my 40th birthday. Like that's right. Okay. Go do your thing. Or like, you want to have the coffee or whatever it is, or the Dahmer documentary is really good. <laughs> and you only time you have to watch it is 10 o'clock at night. So that's when you're watching. Well, that's it. what I mean. I'm like, I can't watch, I don't, I can't watch this in the day, but I also didn't need to watch probably seven episodes in, you know, <laughs> like over the course of two nights, like that probably wasn't alone. You know, that probably wasn't the smartest move. And, and, and by the way, cause I can watch the most, I do watch a lot of like forensic shows. I'm just mm-hmm. so fascinated by that. So everyone now is like, Katie, if you couldn't watch it, it must be so dark. And I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Yeah, I'm going to take this as a sign to not watch it. <laughs> hey, I don't think you should watch it. No, not with a new baby either. I just, no. But um, I think that's a good point where it doesn't mean if something maybe sets you off, you just take note of it and then make the best decision. Like you know, the cost benefit analysis is like, what does it cost? Right. And what's the benefit? Yeah. Like what, what is exactly, what are my values? And if in that, if in that, you know, that weekend, again, it's like, you want to, you want to live your life. Like we don't want to make anxiety management, our full-time job. Like Mm -hmm. it goes against the very purpose, very nature of our recovery, which is life is messy. Like don't try and clean everything up. Even recovery can't be perfect. Like even the way that we're working with ourselves can't be perfect. It's going to be this you know, one day is good. One week is bad. One, I have seasons where my OCD is harder, you know, like I have years. Oh yeah. Are there seasons that are different for everyone or there's like, I think so. I think so. I I know like a lot of clients. I yell at my shrink for always saying this, but (laughs) like I find myself more depressed in the summer and he's like, that's really weird because people are more depressed in the winter. But for me, (laughs) it's like, and I'm like, thanks. Um, but I, I find just always, I don't know why it's, it's July or I'm just like, ugh, I don't know why. Yeah. I think, I think that everyone more time is, on your hands or like, it's, there's something about summer that's, I don't know. It's like, we have this pressure to make it amazing or something. I, I don't know. There's a lot of things that could be going on, but yeah, you're just so complex. Like who, who, who knows why? I think it's just fair to say like, we're we're very, human beings are so interesting and complicated and recovery is never, we're not robots. It's not like, yay, I did the things. I'm never going to feel anxious again. If I just don't drink the coffee, it's like, no, life is going to find some other way to F you up. And so it's better to just develop your wings, right? No, absolutely. Where do you think if someone suffers from perfectionism, but neither of their parents were like perfectionists. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> I'm not trying to be like my friend, wink, yeah. wink. Um, yeah. Where does that come from? I'm really yeah. just using this for my own therapy session. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I mean, interested. I, mean, people... like, I know that's such a general question and you could answer it so many ways. Yeah. I mean, well, where do you think, where do you think it comes from? I think it comes from me not like I never did well in school. Mm-hmm. So I when when I say perfectionism, it's more like how I look and how this. And so I feel like because I could control that more, right? Than like I just really suffered in school, had a learning disability. And I just never I ended up being kicked out of school. And so I think that was sort of what I got an A in, right? Like 
what I was wearing, what I the makeup is. And even if, even if that wasn't my parents, I do think in some way I was rewarded. Yeah. Meaning like, well, you're going to wear that to dinner, you know, like, Oh, you're not going to get dressed up. And then you feel this pressure or I feel this been sort of like a self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, everyone's going to expect me to like be having the newest thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it just becomes so exhausting. Like I remember yeah. a few years ago, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Well, it sounds like there's kind of that fear under there too, which for a lot of people, there is under perfectionism of like, am I lovable if I'm not perfect? Like, right. Yeah. Will you accept me if I don't have, and perfectionism might look like the outfit or the look or right. the fear or the whatever. You right. Know? People like, have different, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. I think underneath that there's, a, there, for many people, there can be this fear of like, what if, if I drop this, if I drop this, perfect, if I stop chasing after this perfect shield, this mask, like, then will I be loved underneath? And there's so many reasons why we're perfectionistic, but I think about perfectionism as protection. And so the question for each person goes, what are we protecting ourselves against? And that could be different for anybody. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I like start crying. I'm like, (laughs) Um, no, that's, I mean, I think also it's, you mentioned Modo, is it Modo, right? The, the, and that stands for the myth of the one myth of the one in the relationship. Do you, will that ever change in the sense where, you know, right? Like you're, you have a little girl or boy. I have a little boy. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's not so much as a little girl where you're reading the fairy tales and you're reading the, and that we won't like, is that narrative changing at all for children? I mean, I think that it is, you know, it's like we, we thankfully we're getting some better models of what relationships I'm thinking of like frozen, like even frozen has like a storyline where like Prince Charming turns out to be kind of like not the best guy. Um, and I like that they're subverting the sort of like Cinderella narratives in, uh, in a lot of are what? they like, I feel like I'm, I, I, by the way, probably be weird if I was like, oh yes, they are. Like, I don't have children, but I'm watching like all these weird relish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they are. Cause like, cause like rightfully so like, you know, companies, they, like they've gotten heat for this kind of messaging. So right. yeah, I do think it's happening, but at the end of the day, like the myth of the one is this idea. It's like this really deep cultural idea that like, we are going to find the right person and life is going to be good. And it's really it's really addictive. Like I'm using that word really lightly, but like it's, it is addictive to think like there's this escape hatch Mm -hmm. in it to suffering. And it's just like, find the right girl, find the right guy, Mm -hmm. find the right thing, find the right job, like find the right, we're really into that idea. And like everything will be great. Yeah. It makes people money to have you believe that if you just find the right person or wear the right thing or be the right thing, like we're very into that idea. And then people get really disappointed when they marry someone or whatever they partner. And they're like, you're not saving me, you know? And, and it, that's where a lot of divorce comes into play. And people go, well, I love them. I'm not in love with them. And a lot of the goal of my book is to challenge this and say, you know, relationships aren't about being saved and they're not about finding the right person. It they're, they're sort of like spiritual vehicles for us to become our highest selves, but it's not easy. Right. It's like the least easy thing. 
Yeah. Usually, I don't know if you follow Todd Roth's like he's, yes, Todd, yes. Yeah, he's, I love he's his work. He's a dear friend. Yeah. He just talks about that all day long, almost like too much where I'm like, wow, this is a real downer, <laughs> some downer <laughs> advice. We're like, but it's, it's because to that point, you talk about the butterflies, which I thought was so interesting in your book about when you feel butterflies, I'm going to mispronounce that amygdala. How do you say that? The amygdala, right? Amygdala. That that is a fight or flight reacting or yeah. turning on. Yep. So yeah. that's not a good thing. She's kind of a downer, guys. She's killing like you're falling in love butterflies. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I so felt that. Like there's so many spots in the book where I'm like, I promise, like I am a I am a fan of love. I am into it. Like I'm not here to just rain on everyone's parade. I'm actually here to like save love in my own. This is my own justification. It's like. It would have made sense. You know, like it's if we think of love more realistically, then more people actually get to have it. Yeah. And also if you're always feeling the butterflies, right? Like anxious and maybe that's not a good thing around someone. I understand maybe the first time you meet someone, but if you're always anxious, I'm thinking of someone I I dated a long time ago. I'm like, this is not great. Like, Like maybe this is your body saying like, don't be around this person. Yeah. I mean, just to sort of clarify that point, because I I think it's interesting and people have thoughts about it, but it's like, the butterfly sensation, it's, we think about butterflies and romantic relationships as like a sign that we found the right person, but we actually experience butterflies like before giving big presentations. Um, a lot of people have the butterflies before flights, like mm-hmm. they're nervous about travel, like the butterfly sensation in and of itself is not some divine indicator that you found the right person. It's, it's a chemical response. It's a little bit of a nervousness. And yes, it can be so it's not fight or sorry, it's not fight or flight. It's like your nerves. Yeah. I mean, and nerves come from your amygdala, which is your fight or flight area. Okay. So you are, you're there. But the point is, is that they're not like, we like to be like, oh my God, it's the butterflies. They must be the one. Mm-hmm. And it's like the butterflies are a sign that you are, this person is activating you in some way. Now, whether that's healthy, unhealthy, the right one, the wrong one, you're scared of them. It's a trauma response. Like that's for you to discover, but we need to take this idea of like butterflies equal the right one and throw it in the trash. It's yeah. like just an experience we're having and we need to explore that more. Well, and I, I, that's a good point. There's uh, someone I was speaking to where they were talking about they're in the best relationship they've ever been in. And when they first met him, they didn't have the butterflies. They actually came home and were like, eh, whatever, we'll see. And it became the right person for them. And I'm not saying that's what you should look for (laughs) to go out on a date and then just come home and be like, but that I think I definitely always look for that sign, right? Where you're like, ooh, nervous. And maybe that's not not what you want. I mean, I think not all the time, you know, right? Right, right. Well, I mean, look, there's, there's plenty of love stories that started off as a slow burn. There's plenty of love stories that started off with a big blaze, like, I think the point is, is that like how your relationship started, it's like no indicator of how it's going to end. That's Um, true. You got to put in the work. So yeah, maybe you have a big blaze, but are you going to keep that going? Are you going to develop more than just a physical connection? Like, or if it starts small, like that doesn't mean there's not enough there. There's so much more complexity to this question of like partnership. And that's the point is it's not that what Hollywood's doing is wrong and it's all about like merry boring people. It's (laughs) much more nuanced than that. It's like, we've just been sold one 
version of what it's supposed to look like. And that's, that's true. It is. And I think, do you think that that's the most, what is, what with your experience and your clientele, do you, or clients, I should say, I feel mm-hmm. like clientele sounds like, like a madam or something. Um, <laughs> do what, what, uh, what OCD, if you can even put it down to this compulsion or thing, do people most worry about? Like what are people most anxious about in a relationship? Is there a thing that kind of shows up time and time again or no? Obviously, I feel like it'd be one reason. One thing would be for women. One would be for men. One would be for them. I don't know. It's not even like it's actually more core than that. Like it's this question of like, am I, am I committing to the right person? Like that is at the core of relationship anxiety. Like, am I making a mistake? Is it even a deeper way to say that? I think is like, am I choosing right? Will I be hurt? Um, those are, well, fundamental, her, yeah, I feel yeah like. like those are fundamental relationship questions. And then what that ends up looking like, if you go one level up is like, do I love them? Do I, do they love me? Are they cute enough, smart enough? Or like, are we funny enough together? Like right. it can look like a thousand different things, but the root is this idea of like, am I making a mistake or not? Yeah. Are they the one? Okay. Oh, it's too much. I know. It's complicated. It's how did you know your husband was the one? Did you have the butterflies? I still don't know if he's the one. And I mean that with like all the love in the world for my husband, but I don't play that game. Like I love my husband and he's the one because we work at it and we're a partnership and we like love our son together and like together and hang out. But I, I mean, there's probably other, the ones out there for me too. You saw, that's what my mom always says. My mom's like, well, I just couldn't get rid of your dad. Like he just, he just was like always there. And like, you know, he was, he wasn't like too serious, but he wasn't too out of control. Like she was just like, so, you know. Yeah. And marry him. Yeah. That's also an okay love story. Right. Like, oh, cool. It worked out. Yeah. It worked out. Like, but that's, that's funny. So I guess people should be suspect of it of like, oh, this was the only one for me. There are many people that you could work it out with. I totally believe that that's the case. Yeah. I think that it is like how we think that relationships are all about finding the right one. Right. And we forget that it's about being and working and investing. You know, like we think we really want the quick fix here and that's where we get compulsive and that's where we're looking for ease. But relationships are really, really freaking hard and they're really, really worth it. And if you can remember that, you're more likely to make a choice that ends up being right for you. Right. That's a good point. Okay. So we always end with five kind of rapid fire questions. I already know what one of your answers I think is going to be, but we'll see. I'm ready. (laughs) What do you do for a mental break? Nature, horses, the outdoors. Oh, you like horses too? I love horses. I ride like you every really? day. Yeah, I have a horse because I, I know you like raccoons. Oh, I, I love raccoons, but I can't hang out with them because they're like vicious. But like, I like raccoons also. <laughs> I didn't know you ride. Yeah, horses are like amazing medicine because you're just outdoors. It's like- They're the best. They're the best. We'll talk, we should talk about that. Yes, later. we need to talk about that. That's, that's what I've fallen in love with. Yeah. <laughs> when is the last time you cried? 
three days ago, I made a video of my son. Like I, I, I was playing around with reels and I made a video of my son to that, like, can't help falling in love with you song. And I bawled like a baby and I didn't post it. It just like was for me, but I made this video, this like choppy video of my son's pictures and just sobbed. What are you currently reading? I am reading a book called Fair Play. Okay. Which is about the invisible labor that a lot of women and especially new moms take on in the household and a better solution for how to delegate work in the house. Oh, that's a good, and I know you speak a lot about, is it the happiness trap? The happiness trap. Okay. You got it. That's great. Uh, what is the best and worst advice you've been given? Mm. The best advice I've been given. I mean, just since we're on topic here and to make it quick, that love is an action. Okay. And it's a choice. And the worst advice in that same vein would be to trust your gut. I know that that one sounds crazy, but your gut is so often just a representation of your fears and it can't always be trusted. Sorry. If you, if anyone could see my mouth is wide open. That's really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Don't always trust your gut. All right. What Instagram account do you find uplifting? If any. Hmm. I like like Upworthy and Good News Daily. Like mm-hmm. I, I sort of love in the middle of the like information stream to also see accounts where it's just like people being good humans and like Humans of New York is incredible. I love the stories mm-hmm. of humans in New York, but yeah, I like to see humanity at its best sometimes too. Cause I think we see a lot of the other side. Yeah. I think also we, we can all get, especially I know with COVID, like I was like, I have to stop watching the news. Like I had like CNN running like 24 seven and just information overload. You definitely want to, I think, especially if you suffer from any OCD tendencies, you need to take breaks from your phone. For me, I I find it life-changing. I'll do like sometimes Sunday, like the whole day, I just turn off my phone, but I don't have children. But no, you should do that anyway. If you're good idea. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Boundary tech. Like you have to have healthy boundaries with tech. That's such a great idea for mental stability. Yes. Well, actually you mentioned, we didn't even get to this information diet. Is, yeah. Wasn't that a word used? I think that's yeah. great. Yep. Yes. I think sometimes it's too much. It's, it's just like, we don't think about it this way, but I really like to think about the same way that we've had to develop these strategies to manage like food abundance. Mm-hmm. Now within, you know, of course not every country has food abundance, but point being is, is you can walk in the grocery store and have whatever your heart desires. It's really the same with the internet. It's like, we can just click and click and click and click and click. And you sort of have to decide like, where are your boundaries? Because you can get really sick off of that. Well, I need boundaries from raccoon memes. <laughs> like, find that. Send me raccoon oh, memes. Oh, I love you that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to get on this train. They're really cute. I love raccoons. I love They're them. They're so cute. Um, all right. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Thank you to Shiva for joining me. Where can our listeners find you? Can you tell us all your handles and Absolutely. You can find me at the shrink wrap. You can also find us. We are in Southern California, but we provide treatment globally. www.caocd.com. That's the center for anxiety and OCD. 
Okay, great. Um, that's all folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU and we can be found wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.